Who would have ever thought that we would be holding an assembly in this nature? I understand that some drive-in movie theaters use this system. I realize now that you you have a preacher. It's not just a minister, but he's a technician. Uh, so this is a day of making history and a time, of course, in our nation that uh, we will never forget. Today I would like to deliver a lesson on what the Bible has to say about God and the nations. And I realize there are many people who could care less what the Bible has to say about God and the nations. Because they don't believe that the Bible came forth from a sovereign God. They believe that the Bible is nothing more than a book of made-up stories. They believe the Bible is nothing more than a book of myth and fantasy. A book that is man-made legend. And what proof do they have for that belief? None whatsoever. There's absolutely no evidence whatsoever to believe that the Bible is nothing more than a made-up story. To believe that the Bible is a myth is based strictly upon bias, upon prejudice, and philosophical presupposition. In the final analysis, it is sheer disbelief. And sheer disbelief is an act of hostility toward God Himself. It is our claim as Christians that the Bible came forth from God, that it is a reliable book of history, and this book of history declares God's authority over our lives and claims God's authority over all of the nations. What does the Bible teach about God and His relationship to the nations? Well, first of all, it teaches that it is God who raised up nations and it is God who also controls the destiny of all nations. Throughout the Old Testament Scriptures, we read the phrase, Jehovah of hosts meaning very simply that He is the God of all nations. Throughout the Old Testament Scriptures, He's referred to not only as Israel and Judah's God, but the God of all nations. He wasn't just the God of His covenant people, the nation of Israel and Judah, but He was the God also of Egypt. He was the God of the Assyrians, the God of the Babylonians, the God of the Medo-Persians, the God of the Grecians, and the God of the ancient empire of Rome. There's never been a nation that what He did not have absolute sovereign rule and reign over that nation. Every one of those nations were under His rule. That's pointed out in, in all of the the different chapters of all the different books in the, in the Old Testament. Particularly in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, and Daniel chapter 8. And so God not only raised up those nations, 
But he ultimately judged them and removed them because they forfeited their right to live in the land. We can forfeit our right to live in God's land. We can defile the land when we step across the line and go altogether too far, totally ignoring God's moral principles. And because of that, God is the one who sets up kings and removes kings. He's the one who sets up kingdoms and removes kingdoms. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21. For example, the great nation of Egypt in the times of Moses was the most powerful nation in the world. In fact, Egypt ruled the world. But God finally got tired of all of their lies because they made a God out of everything except declaring Him to be Jehovah God. He finally got tired of it. And He predicted through many of the prophets that He would take away their power, He would weaken them, and they would no longer have a major play on the stage of world history. And we know that that happened. We know that Egypt is a weak country, and it does not make a major contribution on the stage of world history. The kingdom is Jehovah's. He's the ruler of the nations. Psalms 22 and verse 28. All kings shall bow before Him and all nations shall serve Him. Psalms 72 and verse 11. The Apostle Paul years later made that same declaration when he stood on Mars Hill in Athens, Greece discussing the things of God with all of those Grecian philosophers. And as he passed by, he noticed this altar with the inscription to the unknown God. And Paul said, let me tell you about this unknown God. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth, and He does not dwell in temples made with hands. He's not worshipped with men's hands as though He needs anything, seeing that He gives to all life and breath and all things. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And not only did He make those nations, but He has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. I want you to notice what is stated in those verses of Scripture. It's God who made the world. He made everything in the world. It's him in Him that we live and move and have our being. He gives to all life and breath and all things. But He not only made the world, He made every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. But He not only made those nations, He determines their life, their strength, and their length of existence, and it's based upon moral principles. It's not military power. It's not political power. And it's not economics that is the final arbiter of history. Rather, it is the moral standards of God on which His character is based. The Bible teaches that every nation is morally and socially responsible to God. 
and God will hold any nation in reproach that rejects His sovereign rule and restructures His divine purposes. The Bible says that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs 14.34 And blessed is a nation whose God is Jehovah. Psalms 33.12 But the wicked shall be turned back into Sheol and even the nations that forget God. Psalms 9.17 A nation is preserved when it recognizes God and honors God. A nation collapses when it forgets God and follows a pathway of self-destruction. Again, a nation's life and strength and length of existence is determined by moral principles. And because that's true, a political commentator by the name of Cal Thomas just recently wrote a book entitled America's Expiration Date. And in this book, he poses the question, is it possible that America could crumble and our democracy fail? Perhaps you saw the interview that was given to him by Mike Huckabee just recently on television. But this, is, this book is fresh off the press. I would recommend anyone to buy it and read it. It's entitled America's Expiration Date. He covers eight great nations of the past, eight great superpowers, and the pattern that they followed. And the fact that they only lasted 250 years, and some of them less than 250 years, before they finally collapsed. And he points out the stages that they went through on their way to weakness and downfall. As you know, our nation will celebrate its 250th birthday six years from now in 2026. And we have been following the exact, the exact same pattern that these other nations followed, which led to their collapse. And what pattern is that? What are the stages through which these nations passed? The pioneering days? The days of carving out a republic from a wilderness? The days of conquest of great military power? The days of commerce that leads to wealth and affluence and self-indulgence? The days of intellect? great knowledge, and then the days of moral decadence. Those are the stages followed by great nations of the past that collapsed. And those are the stages that America is following today. What about the nation of Israel and Judah in the Old Testament Scriptures? They followed the same pattern. Like the heathen nations around them, Israel and Judah fell into political, social, moral, and religious corruption. And God sent prophet after prophet to cry out against their sins, to try to turn them away from the pattern that they were following. Man is a self-destructive creature. And God, because of His love, sometimes take rad takes radical measures in order to save us. And so God not, God not only sent prophets to preach to His people, but He also sent natural disasters. He sent natural calamity to warn them and move them to repentance. He is earnest enough 
to subject us to pain in order to purge us. He's earnest enough to put us to grief in order to open our eyes. And He's earnest enough to burn into our souls the fact that we are not a self-sufficient people. We are dependent upon Him. And it's in Him that we live and we move and have our very being. God often subjects us to trouble in order to give us a door of hope. Just read the book of Hosea and see if that's not the case. God said, I'm going to give you a valley of trouble as a door of hope. Hosea chapter 2 and verse 15. And it's not political power that's our hope. And it's not human intellect that is our hope. And it's not even science and technology that is our hope. Our hope can only be in the sovereignty of God, the purposes of God, and the moral standards of God, and whether or not we're willing to keep them. Now, I'm thankful for science. I'm thankful for the, the tasks that have been outlined for the ones who are leading us through this pandemic. But we must recognize that our trust cannot be solely in the medical field. It cannot be solely in human intellect. Our trust must be in Almighty God. And it was the 8th century B.C. Eight centuries before Christ was born that the nation of Israel, ruled by Jeroboam II, reached the pinnacle of political, material, and financial wealth. In all the history of Israel, they had never been richer. They had never had more food to eat. They had never had finer clothes to wear and finer houses in which to dwell. They had their summer houses. They had their winter houses. They had their great houses and their ivory houses. And they drank wine out of bowls, anointed themselves with chief oils, stretched themselves upon beds and couches of ivory. They sang idle songs to the sound of the violin, but they were not concerned about the wound of sin that had sunken deeply into Israel's heart. Ease, luxury, and self-indulgence always leads to open sin. It was a tragic day spiritually. You and I are living in a nation and in a world where it is a tragic day spiritually. And so if Israel had remained on that course, they would have self-destructed. And so God sent natural disasters among them to get their attention. Listen to Amos chapter 4 and verse 6. God said, I sent you hunger, but it did no good. You still will not, would not return to me. I ruined your crops by holding back the rain three months before the harvest, yet you wouldn't return to me, says the Lord. I sent blight and mildew on your farms and your vineyards. The locusts ate your figs and olive trees, and still you wouldn't return to me, says the Lord. I sent you plagues, all manner of disease, like those of Egypt long ago. I destroyed some of your cities, perhaps through tornadoes and earthquakes, as I did Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet you would not return to Me. And because you would not return to Me, prepare to meet your God in judgment. These are trumpets of warning. This is not bad luck. This is not the devil. This is not the devil doing it. This is God saying, I did these things and I sent these things. 
I'm the one who is blowing these trumpets of warning. Now you and I as Christians don't need to be waffling all over the place on these matters and being afraid to connect God to any of this. Not at all. In fact, God wants us to connect Him to it. And that's stated clearly in the book of Deuteronomy, especially chapter 32 and verse 27. And so would we seriously think that during a pandemic of this nature that God doesn't have anything at all to do with it? That He's asleep? Would we, with a Bible in one hand, and anything at all, knowing what's been going on in the world throughout the last decades, think that God doesn't have anything to do with that? There have been other times when God brought judgments on the entire world. Just read the major and minor prophets in the Old Testament and you'll see that that's the case. And when God's righteous judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Isaiah 26 and verse 9. Now the innocent suffer under that judgment. Now, there are many guilty people in the world. In fact, we're all guilty, aren't we? We're all really guilty, but some of us have turned to Jesus in order that we can have that guilt removed. And it has been removed because our sins have been dealt with through the blood of Jesus. I was listening to a song on the way over here on the radio, a song I'd never heard before, but he talked about a hill called Calvary. And on the side of that hill, many years ago, God said, I love you. I love you. And He wrote it in blood. He shed His blood, precious blood of His Son, declaring that you and I through Christ Jesus can stand before Him holy, unblameable, and reprovable, spotless, innocent, and guiltless. But that doesn't mean that when God brings judgment on the world that we as Christians don't suffer in the midst of it. Of course we suffer along with everyone else. I don't claim to be a prophet. And I know no one knows the mind of the Lord. Romans chapter 11, verse 34. But that doesn't mean that we can't make some predictions that are relatively accurate. In April of last year, while preaching a sermon at Refuge Church, I made the statement that if our nation doesn't change its course, that our economy will ultimately fail. That was about a year ago when I made that statement. And why, why was it made? It, it was made because history repeats itself. History repeats itself. And why does history repeat itself? Because man keeps making the same mistakes over and over and over again, and God keeps making the same response over and over again. God doesn't change. He's an immutable God. Malachi 3 verse 6, I, Jehovah God, changeth not. And whatever caused God to take punitive action toward His, the human family in days gone by, when those things occur again and again, He'll take the same action again and again because He's a just God and He's holy. In order for God to remain true to His holiness, He has to do something and will do something. When you and I go all together too far and step across the line, when the world does that and nations does that, God's going to make a response because He loves us and He wants to save us. He wants to redeem us. And sometimes He has to take radical measures in order to do that. History is a monument to the stupidity of man. 
Because we never seem to learn our lesson, do we? We must change our behavior. What about America? Have we not allowed that same pattern of life that other nations have followed to be the stages through which we've been passing? In Washington, D.C., on March the 30th, 1863, Abraham Lincoln proclaimed that it would be a day of fast, a day of prayer to humble ourselves before God. And I'm going to read a, a quote from the speech that he gave. And I want you to fast forward Abraham Lincoln and bring him right up to the White House lawn today. And in your mind, imagine Abraham Lincoln standing on the White House lawn and he's speaking to our nation today. And here's what he said. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. And we have been recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace, multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to God who made us. Does that fit our circumstances today? The same man, Abraham Lincoln, who said if this country dies, she'll commit suicide. Arnold Toynbee, the noted historian, said that 19 of the 21 nations that have fallen fell not because of external conquest, but because of internal decay from within. The pioneering days. The days of conquest. The days of commerce. The days of wealth and affluence and self-indulgence. The days of intelligence and science and technology. And finally, the days of moral decadence and secular humanism. In 1961 and 1962, there were about 80,000 millionaires in America. And there were 11 billionaires. That was 60 years ago, 1960, 61, and 62. We now have over 18 million millionaires and we have 621 billionaires you stop and think about that in 60 years from 80,000 millionaires to 18 million millionaires and from 12 billion heirs to 621 there's nothing sinful as you know about being rich but ease luxury and self-indulgence always leads to moral decadence and usually an increased debt. Our national debt is now over $22 trillion. A nation cannot continue to add debt on top of debt without facing a day that comes that is called payday. And when we make, can't measure up, we go into foreclosure. And so Lincoln's words could be no more truer than today. That we've grown in numbers, we've grown in wealth, we've grown in power as no other nation has ever grown, but we have forgotten God. 
I'm not going to take the time to list all of America's sins. You know what they are. But there are two major moral crimes that tell us how far we've moved away from God. And that's America's attitude toward abortion and the confusing of the gender roles. The abortion advocates, those who are pro-choice, say that the value of the unborn life the value of a child in his mother's womb is not determined by God, but by, determined by the woman herself. If the woman decides that she does not want the child, then the child's value is determined by her, and she has the right to kill the child. And so it's no longer God who determines the value of human life. It's sinful woman and it's sinful man who doesn't think about anything but sex 24-7. Since 1973, over 60 million children have been killed in abortion clinics across our nation and we now applaud and celebrate late-term abortion. When are we going to wake up? And realize that God is tired. When are we going to wake up? And realize that God is tired of our lies. Tired of our incessant love of pleasure. Our sordid and go get high spring breaks. Our worship of the God forsaken booze industry. Our flagrantly corrupt and dishonest politicians. Our self serving and God rejecting news media our liberal and disbelieving college and university professors, our mad craze for illicit sexual gratification, our deliberate confusing of the gender roles, our greed for things and junk and stuff and our greed for money and power, our endless search to fill our empty hearts with everything but Him. When are we going to realize that He's tired of our American males who have nothing on their minds 24-7 but sex? and our American women left pregnant who want the convenient way out by killing their babies. When are we going to realize that God's tired of it? There was a time when God-fearing evangelists called upon the citizens of our nation to repent of their sins and to take heed to the moral standards of God. Now much of that kind of preaching, especially in megachurches, has given way to the prosperity gospel proclaimed by high-living TV evangelists. Let me tell you, these high-living TV evangelists are not a part of the solution. They are a part of the problem. And mega churches, as well as some smaller churches, are filled with people who don't want to hear about sin, but prefer sermons about happiness, pleasure, health, and wealth. They are not a part of the solution. They are a part of the problem. There are 327 million people in America. And out of those 327 million people, 185 million are self-proclaimed Christians. I've heard higher estimations, especially by Matt Walsh. He said there are at least 240 who claim to be Christians. But at least 60 to almost 70 percent of our nation's population claim to be Christians. I've got a question. Where did they go? Did they walk off in the ocean and drown? 
float off out into outer space? If we had that many true Christians and believers who were living what they profess, our nation would not be in the shape that it's in. Churches, I think, are part of the problem. Many of them. We've gotten too relaxed. America is not at a crossroads. America is not at a crossroads. America is far beyond the crossroads and on the wrong road. And if things are going to get better, if things are going to change for the good, we're going to have to go back to the crossroad and take the right road. Stand ye in the way and see, and seek ye the old paths, wherein is the good way, and walk therein. Jeremiah 6.16 Some translations state, Stand ye at the crossroad and see. And seek and follow the good road. God's pathway. If people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Turn from their wicked ways. God said, I'll hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14. Here's the good news for you and for me. We don't have to be anxious about any of this. We don't have to be, shouldn't be, and we won't be if we have our trust in God. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. But in supplication and prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray and we trust. And we give thanks. We give thanks for our leaders. We need to give thanks for our president, Donald Trump, and the magnificent job he's doing leading the task force. We need to be thankful for our family and our friends and our church. And we need to remember the words of the Apostle Paul. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been His counselor, or who first be given unto Him, and be recompensed to Him again. For to Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To whom be glory forever and forever. Amen. I want you to know that Andor and I have always loved you. We've always loved this church, and uh, this is a very special time for me personally to be able to be here with you today and to share this message with you. Andorra would like to have been here, but as you know, her lungs were left scarred nine years ago. and She can't afford to get this virus. It would kill her. And so I've got to be very careful, and we've all got to be cautious and careful because we've got to take this serious. You know that. And you are taking it serious. So just continue to pray and just read our Bibles and love each other. And God bless.